Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Ziada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, welcome to Change Making Women. Um, I'm Marianne Clements, um, and I'm podcasting from London, in the UK. Um, Ziada's not able to be here this week, but I do have guest with me and she is Sarah, Sarah Lim Bertrand, Bertrand sorry <laughs> and she is from uh, Protechnon who are a consultancy work firm working on child protection and lots of other things. I'm going to ask her to give us a, a good description of um, the work that they do. So welcome Sarah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Um, uh, yeah, I'd, l- I'd love to start by just hearing a bit more about, about the work that Protechnon do and, um, and, and what you do there as well. So Protechnon, it's a consultancy group and a foundation, mm-hmm. and it's focused on the care, protection and well-being of children. Ultimately, I would describe Protechnon as a vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's a vehicle for its members to do and go where they want to be. The other thing that may be interesting to know about Protechnon is that we're a really young group. We, we just started actually last year mm-hmm. uh, in May. Mm-hmm. You registered as a company and then as a foundation, basically because we couldn't find anybody else to take us. Mm-hmm. Our first proposal or this bid that we wanted to put in uh, required that we be part of an institution. We couldn't apply as an individual consultant. Uh-huh. It was uh, in Greece, and so that's how we came up, actually, even with our name. We derived it from uh, two Greek words, which is pro and technon. Technon means child in, uh, in Greek. Okay. Um, we didn't get that job. But we've <laughs> we've been, uh, been able to uh, be more successful um, 16 other times since okay. then. Especially within child protection, it's very rare to find an individual who could fit all of the technical profiles. Right. So by coming together and working together, we can also fill that hole. It's something that so I had been thinking in terms of a possibility previously, because I had heard this podcast about this woman mm-hmm. who was a lawyer who set up um, a virtual firm mm-hmm. uh, composed mostly of mothers who basically could determine their own hours and, and their ways of working as long as they delivered, you know, agree, according to their agreement. Yeah. And to ensure that people could work, continue to contribute. And the, the firm was thriving. It was doing very well. They were producing excellent work. Mm. And uh, I always thought that was a fantastic idea. Yeah. You know, within our group, we have people with amazing folios of experience or have come out of the best universities. We have PhDs. And mm. yet some of those colleagues, when we connected, they were not working. Mm. You know, they, they, were, they were doing all the other things because, yes, they wanted to prioritize their children mm-hmm. or they had followed a spouse. But for me, that, that seemed just incredible that there must be a way for us to come together and overcome this. Yeah, I love that. And it seems to me that like working on, on international and humanitarian development type work, that it, it, it ought to almost be more possible and easier to do that because, of, because the work is kind of, all over the place as well but but I but so it's interesting even that the challenge is still there and that you know you found a way to to respond to it 
um, I'm interested in how you make the the kind of different um, pieces work together, given that you're working virtually and stuff. So, like, how do you make sure that um, you get the job done, even though you may be different people doing different bits of it at different times and have different availability? How do you sort of juggle the actual practicalities? So we do it through a team model, and basically, when an opportunity arises, then um, through our virtual office space, we find out who is interested, um, who has the skill sets that are missing, mm-hmm. and then uh, we pull a team together. They they pull the mm-hmm. the proposal. Some of these proposals, we tend to go a little bit overboard. You know, we've submitted ones that are over a hundred pages, if you can believe it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, somebody was telling me that their cover letters look different. Their husbands, in mm-hmm. the sense like. Sometimes as women, we feel like we have to justify ourselves. Yeah, I find that so true. (laughs) I find that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So by coming together, there is this awareness that actually together we have a great profile. Yeah. Yeah. And we can demonstrate why we can do certain jobs. Now, once the bid is accepted, then it's really important for the team to establish their own ways of working. Mm-hmm. So because each person has a different understanding of, like, for example, deadlines. You know, mm-hmm. some people, when they say there's a deadline, they expect it to be three days in advance. Yeah. Or, you know, that's an exaggeration, but that's to give you an example. And yeah. other people have a more flexible view. Uh, at this point, we are asking each of the teams to work that out amongst themselves sure. to come to a consensus in terms of those agreements. Broadly, though, as a group, we do have these three pillars of ways of working. The first pillar is uh, what we call uh, freedom, mm-hmm. to say that you, know, you are your own boss. Nobody is an employee of Protechnon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People can set their own hours, the amount of work they want to accept. This is a Again, going back to this idea of it's a vehicle yeah. for, for people and, and not just women, although right now we're, we're, we are exclusively women, for people to you know, go and do what they want to do. Yeah. But we are together to do something together. So that's the second pillar the, of our agreed ways of working is that we've come together to collaborate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think under that pillar, we're talking about that it means that um, you know we're committed to doing something meaningful, uh, impactful that's clearly defined in a way that we people know where what is their role, what is expected of them, what will the role of the team lead play? You know those kind of questions mm-hmm. that are resolved. And then the last pillar is what I kept, we agreed to be principled. And for me, the most important part of that is to build and strengthen the psychological safety amongst the group because most of us have never met in person. Yeah. And so to go into a team, you know, in a remote team, um, to work together, you really need trust, actually. And you need to be able to say, like, this is not working or to give feedback or to really be able to speak truth. And that takes um, trust building. So we've funny, funny things that we do, um, like different social calls to try to help members come together. Mm -hmm. I've made like cookbooks. We've uh, shared baby photos and try to match them with our actual photos. We've (laughs) um, shared pictures of our like workspaces so that we can imagine 
the, the members that we work with, you know, rooted in some physical space. We, we do these things to try to help people get to know the members within the group. I love those ideas. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to implement them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy to share examples. Um, but, you know, this is not to say that we are perfect. We're not. Mm. It's just that we agree to be called back to these uh, ways of working, if that makes yeah, sense. Ways of working. Yeah, it totally does. And um, I, 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 I find it a really interesting framework to, you know, like you said, a vehicle rather than a kind of, I guess I'm, I'm sort of thinking of it as rather than an institution that somehow has a hold on you. It's like, it's almost like the opposite of that from what I'm hearing. So it's like, you know, you're free and you choose and you, but, but we're doing, but when we're doing stuff together, we're doing it in a way that's, that's um, clear and meaningful and, and, and articulated well between us. I, I find it really inspiring. <laughs> We've also decided to consider ourselves a, a social enterprise mm -hmm. yeah. in the sense that not that we're there yet, <laughs> but if ever we should have make a profit that it would, that profit would then be fed back into the group, yeah. either to fill their own capacity or to empower the work of the foundation that we're doing. Mm -hmm. The reason why we also registered as a foundation is because as consultants, we are driven by the agenda of others whether it's the other NGOs or the UN organizations that we're contracted with. Yeah. Most of us have uh, also been in the field. We've seen the gaps. We want to also be activists mm -hmm. and be proactive in terms of finding solutions for the challenges we see in terms of related to the care and protection and well-being of children. Mm -hmm. Related to that work, we are developing pilots. We've uh, hosted a humble but what we call the global online conference on mm -hmm. themes that we were working on we even do things like book clubs you know whatever we can in terms of really looking at how can we support the learning and development of of our sector yeah how can we advance the models that we're using in the field when we see from the evidence base that there is a gap yeah. How can we speak to and advocate in terms of the global standards to ensure that whether we're talking about the gaps in terms of early childhood or neglect are, are seen and that people respond to it. Beyond that, most of us are involved with very small local groups. How can we better support those groups? And then we have the consultancy group, then we have this foundation. Right now, we're also trying to develop this idea of the institute. Mm -hmm. We have this vision, this long-term vision of building the capacity of consultants or researchers or academics like us, but who are coming from middle and low-income context. Mm -hmm. So we've created a network, the Protect Down Research Network, where we can meet, we can share questions, we can seek help, where people can find more information about ongoing opportunities. And it's been really encouraging to see how even there, we've been able to see collaborations. There's a handful of projects that are right now have finished or underway through that network, where you see that collaboration between people of different skill sets, different backgrounds, different experiences, really all coming together to seek this social innovation in the way we care and protect and promote the, the well-being of kids. Mm, amazing. I really like, I really, I'm really interested in the kind of way you've the way you've approached this and I and I wanted to ask one sort of practical question about in terms of you, you know you said that you haven't all met face to face and I just wondered about like what 
technology you're using to enable working together like is there is there something that you've found you know supports that particularly are you just using normal emails and documents and things or is, is there any kind of platform that you're that you found helpful for that kind of working um yeah we're using a couple of platforms right now but the main one we use to communicate with each other is slack okay and and then we are also using another platform called asana that's more related to the project management side yeah i know that yeah. i know both of them actually but yeah asana more, more on the tasks sort of particular tasks within the project hmm. yeah we're a small group and a new group the ones that work and are free are the ones we really use of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah 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 i'm interested in slack because i i we tried to use slack in my project and we it, it didn't really work for us but i i have this feeling that it um there's a lot of potential in it but um Maybe it's about kind of everybody getting used to it and stuff. So I'm interested to hear that you're using it. But you can share all sorts of stuff in there as yes. well, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can share documents and images and create Google Docs or other other pieces there. And then you can you can actually even email from Slack. Okay. So you can and, um, mm-hmm. send like instructions to other platforms from Slack. So there, yeah, there's a lot that can be done. And there's so many of these things now. It's like, there's something about like stick, you know, choosing one and then this really exploring its full potential, you know? And then there's like, I have a part of me that wants to try them all as well. <laughs> 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 of everything to see which is the best. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about the challenges of working in this way. So you know from what I've heard so far I'm really inspired by your approach and I just wonder you know have there been sort of issues that have come up um particular challenges to working in this way or you know maybe in the reaction of other people to your to your bids or I don't know I'm just interested we are a startup and we are we definitely are experiencing startup pains Mm -hmm. Um, and especially the business side of the work you know, what does it mean to function as a social enterprise? We're, we're still trying to figure that out. While we have been financially responsible, we haven't, for example, been able to reach sustain, you know, a level of sustainability for all of the members. Mm-hmm. Those who have been consulting longer tend to be able to find more opportunities. And the question is then how can we bring others on board and develop their capacity? So that's something that we've been grappling with and learning how to do and in some cases it's been successful in other cases it's been less so so those are things that we're I feel like we haven't cracked it yet Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. our win rate is around like 45 50 percent of the bids we put in yeah so it's it's actually still a lot of time we're spending on developing bids that we're not we're not getting so that's a side that I would love some advice on yeah I wonder because it's probably not data that's out there like because I was thinking like you know 45 to 50 percent of bids might actually be really good like we don't know because we don't probably have the data of like you know how many bids people are putting into these types of contracts and what the kind of win rate is I don't know um yes you know because we're we are really doing it this in the dark yeah exactly Um, so if anybody's listening to this and you have experience (laughs) Please, please I've, got, I've, got a a bit of, I've got a bit of experience and from my experience oh, I, great. I would have thought that that's that's not 
too bad. Like that's pretty, I mean, I guess it depends how much you bid for. There's probably like, um, if you only bid for the things that are like really, you really, really, really know that, you know, you either already have experience with that organization and you, you know that they, you know, they're interested in you doing it, that, that might be different. But I think if you're bidding for things, you know, more broadly, uh, yeah. my experience would be, yeah, you know, at least 50% are not going to come off, maybe more. So I just thought you are doing quite well. But it does mean that there's that massive time investment, you know. Yes, we had put in a bid and we had even designed it. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful submission. And then as soon as it was submitted, within five minutes, we got the reply that the consultancy had already been filled. No. It's really surprising when we get responses like that. I would say that's an exception though that's a yeah I have definitely had the experience of feeling like they already knew who they were hiring but they were interviewing people anyway a few times you know (laughs) you know you you have where they feel like well because the you know that there's a process where they have to interview people but actually maybe they've they already have decided who they're giving it to or that sort of thing I definitely have had that experience but um, yeah, that's devastating to put that much effort and time and just be told in five minutes. <laughs> that the, re- that like, the reply no. came was a very <laughs> shocking response. Um, the other challenge I wish that we could crack is that, you know, one of our, our values is that we are unapologetically us in the sense like if you talk to us, there will be kids barging in. Yeah. And you will hear them. And it's just understood amongst us that there are times that we we need to go and take our kids to the doctor or yeah. or there's just emergencies, especially with children, that we cannot plan for and that we have a system now of backing each other up in those times. But how to stay in that confident space that sometimes we fail, I fail, even though you know we've promised that we're not going to be sorry for who we are, that our state right now is an asset and it's something that we can bring to others. Yeah. But it, I think it's really, it's easy to forget and even apologize because of the way we've been raised. And that's something I feel like we still need to develop. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's, that's a process rather than a, you know, necessarily like a, a destination that, that, that might be achieved anytime soon. Because it, like you said, it's probably like conditioning from our whole lives um, and little subtle messages we've you know, all around us that we, you know, have sort of inadvertently almost taken in. So to me, like just the the very fact that you're stating a commitment to being okay with it is is sort of like committing to the journey. <laughs> but but like yeah, yeah. I find that in myself too. There are things that I, you know, for for example, with the podcast, I always say to people, it's totally okay for your kids to come in and my kids come in sometimes. I've got one, but my child comes in sometimes. But there is still that part of me sometimes. It depends who I'm with or what the meeting is or whatever. Mm. Like, oh, (laughs) sorry, sorry, sorry. So I do think, yeah, I do think that it's, um, that's a, it's probably a journey for most of us, that one. I think so. And at the same time, I think that there is this angst Mm. and almost feeling of being fed up, of being apologetic of who we are, or reading of colleagues who have some amounts of uh, experience and Mm. yet are not being called back for interviews or calls because of a huge gap in their CV. 
Mm-hmm. In spirit, we want to say, no, we are who we are and we're going to do excellent work for you, but this is how, how it is. But in practice, it's a struggle. Yeah. And that, yeah. That, that whole thing about a gap, a gap in your CV, it just feels so... Um, to me like it's like like we should be over that I agree it's almost like you know like really in this sort of day and age or whatever people still asking why you've got a gap in your CV or or taking that as some kind of reason why you can't do something and actually you know and I'm sure you that this is something that you maybe speak to as well like those gaps when we do other things might actually enhance our you know our ability to do do some certain tasks and and support us to be you know to be good at what we do so yeah oh, exactly exactly we pretty much do a lot of things in-house like for example we created our own website we make sure that for example our submissions mm-hmm. there's at the very least a nicely designed cover and things and I, i'm one of the people who, who support that and but i picked that up in my downtime and I, and I would have thought also in, in terms of your, you know, a lot of your work is focused on children, all of your work is focused on children and, and child protection and child rights. And um, I would have thought that, that, that women who have recently had children would have some perspectives to bring to that sort of work that, you know, might be informed by personal experience and discovery along the sort of motherhood journey that might actually yes. really be very useful in those contexts. So yeah yeah that would be my bid (laughs) yes for sure and even even coming from there you know and um we also look at gender and we also look at sexual violence you know for Mm -hmm. especially when it bridges from children to women and i think that our experiences of coming into motherhood now mind you not all of our members are our mothers because we you know we we Mm. want to complement each other sure but definitely that perspective has has really revolutionized the way I see the world and the way I see um, our, the work that we're doing. Whether it's the evidence base that's growing right now on trauma and resilience, not only through my studies, but also having experienced it firsthand with my children. Mm. I think this is why we, we also have embraced the, the idea of being activists and also having this, this foundation. Yeah, and I... I, I love that because I feel like, uh, you know, separating off that part of ourselves that, that wants to, like, be activists and make change happen, which is probably what brought most of us to this type of work in the first place, from the work we do, I think, like, separating it is, is always, always feels a bit, like, artificial to me anyway. So I love that you, you know, have that, have and recognise that element as you, you know, as you obviously your sort of core work of, of bidding for contracts and doing the work that, that people are asking, asking to be done is there, but you, there's also some element of wanting to shape change. I, I think that's really inspiring as well. I, um, I wanted to just, I realised that we didn't talk very much about the actual types of, you know, the kind of work you do. And um, I don't know if you wanted to say anything more about the types of contracts you do, the, you know, the, the sort of um, thematic, um uh yeah the th- thematic focus of your work because it that feels important maybe to to just for people to hear um uh, well well because we're a young group and um and there's 20 plus of us mm-hmm. we are actually able to qu- cover quite a wide spectrum 
So uh, we've recently, just this week, launched a guidance note uh, that was developed on uh, the protection of children in infectious disease mm -hmm. outbreaks. So within an Ebola response or a cholera yeah. response, what do we know in terms of the vulnerability of children in those contexts? And yeah. then what do we know based on the experience and, and the research in terms of what the response should look like? So that's mm -hmm. a piece that we've just developed. We've also been working on studies on caring for boys affected by sexual violence mm -hmm. in different states of care. Done a, another study on uh, modern slavery of children, We've developed advocacy strategies to look at the inclusion of children with disabilities, particularly within child protection systems. Mm -hmm. We've developed toolkits for the protection of youth or um, adolescent youth who've been forcibly displaced and using sports as the vehicle to promote their protection and well-being. So that's a sports for protection toolkit. We've been, for example, developing trainings on whether online or face-to-face on uh, violence against children, on case management. So there is a, I mean, those are just a, f a few of the, of the pieces that we've worked on, but it covers a pretty wide spectrum. Yeah. In terms of the, the kinds of work we do, because we have within our team people who have more of the legal background or who have more of the, the social work background or the case management background, people who come at, from more of an emergency end or from a development lens or who come more from it from an academic mm -hmm. entryway or those who are um, practitioners. There, there is this kind of merging of expertise and profiles that we're able to do together. And then we, we have, we're very lucky because uh, we're also complemented by a very uh, strong core group of people who are very gifted at writing mm -hmm. on these issues or conducting advocacy on these issues. So it's not, it's not always evident that if you just pull a child protection practitioner, that they will be able to, for example, develop the advocacy strategies or develop the communication strategies or be able to produce a piece of work that is very easy to read or that yeah. it will be in a format that will look nice um, yeah. and, and, and friendly and friendly to people who want to use it. It's not always evident that, that one person alone will have even the research background to be able to pull a certain piece together or... On the other hand, like the, the practical experience of working on this issue. I think it's amazing when I see a consultancy asking for a single consultant to be able to bridge all of those gaps. Sure, yeah. Or maybe yeah. It, it, in reality, it, they don't, you know, but that, then that's the kind of products that we get. Yeah. And so it's nice to be able to say to clients that we can do this all in-house. With, yeah. of course, the help of others or those who are affiliated with us. And I think that's the other strength. And, and at the same time, you know, it's own, it has its own challenges of uh, trying to reach that kind of standard. Yeah, brilliant. I am. I'm really, um, yeah, I just, I really, I'm really um, interested in 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 this model and and in in sort of sharing this I'm, I'm i'm happy that we're doing the podcast and able to share it with other people because i think it's really um yeah it's really speaking to some needs from clients in that sense of being able to provide to them you know a robust you know um response to the things they're looking for and then also to 
the needs of you know particularly women who are wanting to work in this flexible way so i really love what you're doing and um i we always we have a question that we normally ask at the end of our show which is about you and it's um how we would like to know how you look after yourself and relax and you know take a break from the, the work that you do this is an area i have to say where uh, you know being part of a startup it's a continued area of challenge and i think this is sure. the cost of yeah. being so ambitious because we're not even a year old mm -hmm. and we have been i mean there are certain members that have been really pushing hard yeah. to launch this and also to get it going and so this is an area i just think that we need to do better in and at a certain point people are asking like how, how are you doing and i said I feel like I am dying. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I didn't feel like that. And then, uh, you know, I was thinking about what was happening. And I realized, like, I, I was moving my body more. You know, I was, like, yeah. trying to go and exercise and, yeah. and uh, go swimming. And that, that alone was helping a lot in trying to bring more of the self-care practices back into my life instead of being so focused in terms of getting this baby yeah. To a certain point where they can uh, walk, uh, in addition to, of course, like taking care of, of taking care of our kids and everything yeah. around the house. Right. The project so, becomes yes. an, another baby. <laughs> That's so true. Yes. So true. It's really, you know, especially in the first uh, year or so, that's the most, uh, well, every year presents us unique challenges, I think. But, you know, the first year, that just takes so much hands-on, yeah. hands-on work. It's true for humans and it's true for projects as well. I think that's so right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in that sense, you know, just if you can remember like your first years with uh, your kids or even when I think about mine. Yeah, it's been, it's been like I've, I, we had our third kid. Yeah. That, that rigorous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. So, yeah, as I've probably said loads of times now, I'm really inspired by your approach to this work and I look forward to seeing how ProTechnon develops as well and particularly how, you know, this, this element of activism um, combined with the work you're doing, um, what, that, what that sort of causes you to create over the, you know, the days to come, the, the months, years hopefully to come. Um, so thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. And um, yeah, I look forward to watching to watching what's next. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And I've also been looking from afar in terms of what you're doing and being so inspired by that. So I really hope that there we'll we'll find something where we can find some synergy and, and work together on. Yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com. <laughs>